The following is from the teaching ministry of First Baptist Church of Royal City, Washington. More teaching like this can be found at graceteaching.net or searching Grace-Oriented Teaching wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here is our speaker. We have a two-week break. So, to review, I put some of the stuff up here just really quick. We got through the Old Testament, and um, just a reminder, we're talking about women and what the Bible says about women. Um, So we started in the Old Testament, we started with Adam and Eve, and learned that God created them and asked them to rule the earth together, um, and that he made them as a complement. Those were kind of two of the... So at least for me, those were two things that I thought um, were significant about the creation of Adam and Eve as far as women. Um, In Exodus, Judges, 2 Kings, we learned about some of the other women in the Bible. Miriam was a... Except I can't spell this morning. She was a prophetess. Deborah was judge. and prophetess. Yep, she was both. And military. And <laughs> yeah, she kind of wore several hats. We could also call her a general, maybe. <laughs> um, she led the military. Hulda was a prophetess. And then we also read the Proverbs 31 woman. And what do we learn about the Proverbs 31 woman? She's what? A businesswoman. She's a businesswoman. She's not just... She's an importer and an exporter. Yeah. She imports. She exports. She's also a wife. She cares, which means she cares for her home. Also said that she bought and sold property. Um, she worked from sun up to sun down. Right. So you you assume that she's also a mother, and she's managing household of you know multiple people. Then, when we spent time in Genesis, we also talked about the sin that occurred and the curse. The curse for him, in general, was weeds. 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 (laughs) Hard work. (laughs) Specifically, the sweat of his brow, right? For her, we get, as women... Pain in childbirth. And. Uh, I like the way she said it. And your your demonstration. Uh, We will. (laughs) Buttheads. 
with our husbands, with men. Well, that's kind of our curse. So the other thing before we move into the New Testament, just as a reminder, the Old Testament for us as New Testament saints is meant to be what? Information. Specifically about what? About God. Yes. Thank you. And God's what? Character. According to God's character, how did he treat women in the Old Testament? Better than other countries, the same as men. Um, because there were men that were prophets, there were women that were prophetesses. Now, the only thing that I can think of in the Old Testament that did not happen for women was a woman never held the ultimate, if you want to call it that, position of queen. Now, there was one that... Or priest, exactly. So there was no priests that were women. There were no queens. Now, to some degree you could argue with that because Esther, there was Esther. However, even Esther didn't have the power that we think of as a queen because even she had to submit to her king. Um, she risked the, her life, literally, to even ask to go before him when she did, right? I mean, he could have said, nope, off with your head. <laughs> um, but she risked that for her people anyway. So um, I found that interesting, just, you know. So the Old Testament also, we had this, the sin, and because of sin, we were given the law. And the law was for what? To show man's sinfulness. To show man's sinfulness. Okay? And then we come to the New Testament. Now we're going to take a look at what the New Testament says about women. And as we go through, I want you to keep in mind, one, God's character. And then the whole story of the New Testament. The whole story of the New Testament is what? Right, and we now have, we don't have the law anymore. We have grace, and with that comes the wonderful picture that we all are familiar with that I'm not going to do nearly the justice that Josh and, <laughs> and Tim do to it. <laughs> but as believers, all of us, men and women, when we are saved, we are... Right? And I think that all of that needs to be remembered as we look at these verses and what the New Testament says about women. Because it's in the New Testament, when we get down to a couple of these verses, where um, that's where the question comes in of where you get the split, the division in the churches where, you know, you have the extreme side of women can't even pray in church and really shouldn't even speak and need to wear head coverings and should still wear dresses and long hair and, you know, all the, the rules about women 
to the ex other extreme where some think that it's okay for a woman to be a pastor. And so we have those extremes, and we're going to kind of take a look at some of that. Not in the same and as far as Tim is, but <laughs> we'll look at some of it. So we're going to start in Luke. <coughs> so Luke 2, 36 through 38. Ben, we'll start with you today, if that's okay. Okay. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of of the tribe of Asher, she was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Keep going. Nope, that's good. So Anna was? A prophetess. Okay. So even here, we have another prophetess. Um, and um, she was a widow, so she had been married. I thought that was interesting. Um, and, but she was, and in this case, um, I know, I've always found her, it was, she's one of those people that it would be really interesting to have known more about her, like. She did serve at the temple. She yeah. She was a priest, but she No, she served, served at the temple, exactly, and I've always wondered what exactly that meant, because um, she served at the temple, and she served it for a long time. Prayers. And she was a yeah, she was a widow for eighty four years. And it, it, I mean, the indication is that whole eighty four years she served at the temple. So, okay, put the math to this. How old is this lady? Yeah. You know, did she marry at fourteen or twenty? And then you added seven years, and then a widow. Yeah. Yeah, I she's know. Quite she's quite old, and she's still there serving. Because um, you see the eighty four, and you go, oh, eighty four. No, no she's yeah, she's she's ninety plus, or maybe even or over a hundred exactly. Yeah, I know, because you don't know when she got married, so yeah, but, it's an but, interesting. Well, I read that as that she's eighty four. She lived as a widow to the age of eighty four. Of about eighty four years. Huh? And yeah, and it could be yeah. I mean, it says she lived seven years with her husband, mm -hmm. but that she was eighty. So it doesn't tell us when she got married. She mm -hmm. could have got married later. Mm -hmm. Lived with them seven years and then but it definitely says she was a widow to the age of eighty four. Yeah. I think you could read it both ways. Not that it really matters either way. The key point here is that she was a prophetess. Um, and so even as we're moving into, and she's, um, <clears throat> here with Jesus, right? Um, so now let's take a look at Acts. We're going to jump to Acts 21.9. Gary, if you could read that when you get there. 
He had four unmarried daughters who prophesied yep. while we were yeah you can that's all we can stop there um so here's a gentleman um and if basically this is um they were in caesarea the house of philip and so philip had four daughters who prophesied and so here we have prior to Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and after, we still have some women who are prophetesses, and they are prophesying. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 11, 4 through 5. What was that? 1 Corinthians 4. Oh, no, 11, sorry. 11, 4 through 5. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head. But every woman who has her head uncovered while praying or prophesying disgraces her head. For she is one and the same as the woman whose head is shaved. So we're not going to worry about the head covering piece of this. Because <laughs> that's a whole nother... <laughs> Um, discussion. The point I want to bring is that we still have men and women prophesying. It's not saying that women shouldn't. It's saying if they do, this is a little bit of direction around. So again, they're still being treated equally as men. Correct? There's not, there's not any distinctions here. Um, so essentially women held the same roles as men during this time let's go to Galatians 3.27 and see what that says Galatians 3, 27. Mm -hmm. And 28, please. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ like a garment. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So what is this telling us? In Christ. Everybody's the same in Christ. <coughs> to the extent... There is neither male nor female. So that doesn't say our gender disappears. <laughs> what? <laughs> As some would like you to believe today. Um, but in Christ means but, up in the heavenlies, not here. Right, exactly. And I would say that this is also just talking about that um, it's, it's, it's the way God sees us. God doesn't see our color. He doesn't see our race. 
He doesn't see gender differences. What he sees, Ronnie? Well, I was just going to say, it, I agree with you there, but also it's how um, God wants us to view each other. Exactly. So another, you know, people in the church should not think themselves higher because they're a man or a woman because they should view themselves as equal in Christ. And same with the racism. I think that's the key point from mm-hmm. this yeah. is what she just said. It's that it's not that we don't recognize race and that we don't recognize gender and that we don't recognize all these distinctions we have down here. The point is that none of those distinctions make us better than another. Right. Our status is equal. Because yep. in God's eyes, we're equal in our sin. <laughs> we're, once we are in Christ, we're equal in our righteousness. And that righteousness covers everything, right? That's the whole point. That's why I said that I think we have to keep in mind that we all started here as sinners. And if we're in Christ, that's the overarching theme that has to be remembered when we're talking about this issue of how women should be treated. And how women should treat men. And how women should treat men. Yep, it goes both ways. You should change your way of living um, as you direct your thoughts and activities towards other believers. And that whether that is a husband-wife relationship or a leadership role or general relationships, regardless, exactly. All right, let's take a look. So we're going to, we're going to, that was our positive. Okay, so start positive, right? That's the good news. That's the the, the verse that, yes. Now, we're going to take a look at the negative verses that people use, um, like I said, to um, essentially silence women in churches. There are, like I said, there are churches where women are not allowed to even pray, much less sit here like I am teaching. <laughs> so let's take a look at 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. Okay. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Okay. So, at face value, what is this telling us? There's times that the woman needs to be silent and know her place. Okay. That's that's a that nice is, way of putting it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. doesn't say how you're supposed to walk two steps behind it whenever they go places in public. No, it does not. <laughs> it's not that specific. No. <laughs> I don't even find that offensive or negative because God instructs both male and female mm-hmm. to submit and everybody on the body of Christ to submit to one another. So I don't see that as a negative instruction. Mm-hmm. An important thing here, it doesn't say make the woman to be, it says let so, her be. Mm-hmm. It, it, she's never made to be. It's that individual one taking this instruction and acting or not, doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. I think she has at times not been silent. Yeah. Yeah. And what you guys are both doing already is 
using the context of other verses that we know, right? We, we have Ephesians, which we're going to look at, that tells us that we are to be submissive to one another. Um, but what happens, as we know with so many verses, is people pull one verse, hold it up, and say, look, <laughs> this is what it says. Now, one thing to keep in mind, um, that when you translate this from the Greek, um, the tra tranquil is actually for silence, and it's turn over instead of permit. And so it reads a little bit more like this, and this is me taking the Greek in, okay? So a woman in quietness must learn with all submission to teach, but a woman not permit or to exercise authority over a man, but to be in quietness. So that's the literal English translation of the Greek using those Give me words. That one time, mm -hmm. Quietness, a woman in, in starting that? 11, okay. a woman in quietness must learn with all submission to teach, but a woman not permit or to exercise authority over a man, but to be in quietness. I guess I know by my quietness it says one who is one who is not constantly arguing or debating. Right. That's yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I did a little bit of kind of um, background research on. Um, a couple of these verses and um, part of what was happening in the churches was um, it was in and, and we're talking and not just in the churches but I'm talking like societal so societally it had become more prevalent for women um, because of the Greek um, religions, women were becoming much more vocal and a part of. So keeping in mind um, that in the Greek churches, there was a lot of sex <laughs> and stuff going on in the churches. That was just a part of what it was. And so um, there are some scholars that feel that that was part of what these verses were speaking against was just like any other time, some of that outside influence was coming into the churches. And so they were having to teach against that. So that's just kind of a side note that, you know, sometimes it's helpful to understand the context of what was going on in general in these communities. So, which takes us to 1 Corinthians 14. And did, you, did you look at verse uh, 15 at all of um, chapter 2? She will be saved through childbearing if she continues in faith, love, and holiness with good judgment. I did not. I mean, I, I did, but um, I didn't want to go there. <laughs> <laughs> to your because point about uh, the culture in the area, the people he's writing to is, is Ephesus, and mm -hmm. what temple is there? The Temple of Diana. The, yeah. And so there's also a huge, probably inordinate, unbalanced uh, admiration for a woman a who woman. is seen as a god. Right. Okay. So, you know, does that affect the general populace? Of course. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, and because in Ephesus it was Diana, and then in Corinth they had the, um, what was that temple? It was Jupiter. Jupiter, yeah. And it was the same kind of situation. So um, so let's, let's go to um, 1 Corinthians 14.3. In the background, as we know with Corinth, it was, <laughs> I wrote it was a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> And because, remember, we're talking about some followed Apollos, Peter, Paul, we have that whole conversation. People were asking about divorce. Others were falling back into old lifestyles due to the influence of culture. And there was pagan worship of Aphrodite, um, which involved, again, prostitutes and the temple. So there was a lot of things that Paul was addressing um, in Corinth. So 1 Corinthians 14.3 to begin with. So, Dad? On the other hand, one who prophesies speaks to people for their own building and encouragement and consolation. <coughs> Do you want to read 29 and 35? Yeah, please. So the, the negative portion of this, I was going to reread the, the, the part that gets pulled out and used. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something, let them ask their own husbands at home, for it is shameful for women to speak in church. Okay. Now, I had us read three to give us a little bit of context. And 29 through 35, again, to get more of the context. So, what's the context here? The order for teaching regard to tongues. Right. Yeah. Which is what? what? What is allowable and not allowable if we're talking about speaking in tongues? Just having a free for all. Exactly. There, because there's, what's the purpose then? Verse 22 is, the tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. That's, so if you're trying to speak tongues within the church, what are you saying about everyone there? You're an unbeliever. Exactly. And then prophesying is for believers. Right. Right. So here we have, again, the situation, it appears, and 
was that there was kind of chaos within the church. There were people speaking in tongues who should have not been speaking in tongues. And there was prophesying going on when prophesying should not have been going on. And so he's trying to bring order back into the church. Now we already have proven over and over that women could prophesy. So it's not, he's not saying that if, it's, if a woman's a prophet, she can't prophesy. He's saying if it's a woman, whether a woman or man, you need to do it in the right order and with the right, I don't want to say rules, but speaking in tongues, you weren't supposed to speak in tongues if there wasn't somebody available to interpret, right? There, there had to be somebody who could, somebody, it had to be something that people were hearing and, and understanding. Yeah, if there was no it, interpreter, then it, the man was supposed to be quiet too. Yeah. Exactly. It wasn't just the woman that needed to be quiet. The man needed to be quiet. Didn't matter who you were. If there was no interpreter, you don't speak in tongues. <laughs> Period. In this context, it seems like the women were being told because they were the ones speaking out of turn. Because they were speaking out of turn. Exactly. That would be the understanding in this context. So it's not saying a flat, nobody, no women can ever talk. <laughs> This is just giving guidance to a situation that was happening in that church. And an interesting thing too, when it says, let your woman keep silence, unlike Timothy, this is the uh, be silent word. This, if it has to, seems to have to do with this prophesying. Mm -hmm. And yet you have the uh, daughters of Philip over in the other place that were prophesying. They weren't at church. And these one, and there was obviously something not appropriate here, or it wasn't edifying. Right. And uh, what's interesting too over there with Philip, those girls are uh, prophesying in regard to Paul. Remember, mm -hmm. Paul's like a, on a mission to go to Jerusalem, and they're saying, you, know, you shouldn't be doing this." <laughs> so they're, they're actually telling the, the the steward of the dispensation what to do. Mm -hmm. You know, so talk. It's not their authority. It's coming from God. You know, so it, it's really irregardless of male and female at that point. It's coming from God. Right. Yep. And in 1435, just an, a point, the word ask means to ask between equals. So there's... in. I'm, you know, <laughs> I know this much about Greek because it's, you know, what Tim and Josh have, and Jim have taught us. <laughs> but I do know that um, when I read that, then that means that there must have been in the Greek an ask that meant not between equals. Mm -hmm. And so, but in this case, when it says, ask the husband, it's not saying you're this, you know, less than person that needs to ask the more knowledgeable, powerful man. It is, you're asking as equals. So if we go back to 1 Corinthians 11, 11, where it says, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. Yep. So it goes back to the context. Yep, exactly. I think it's interesting, too, that in verse 28 it says, if there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. But then it goes on and clarifies that 
in 39, do not forbid to speak in tongues. Just only a couple at a time if there's an interpreter. Right. So it's really... Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. If you if you look at it in context, <laughs> it's clear. And the overall restrictions are there in verse forty. It's for the purpose of being decent, be in a in a outwardly appealing manner. It doesn't look like it's chaos, mm -hmm. and it has an order to it. Yep. And so edification has a good appearance and it's order. Mm -hmm. Just a question on that verse thirty-four. Is that silent? Silent women should remain silent in all the churches. They are not allowed to speak. No, I think that's in reference to the prophesying. Up in verse thirty-two, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not an author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And then it talks about the women. Mm -hmm. So I think it's talking about women who prophesy specifically. So, so in all the churches, they were not to prophesy during church time? Correct. Just the women? Yep. Is there any reason for that? I don't know specifically, but um, they did prophesy at home, evidently, and then it was taken to the church probably by the man. By the man, yeah. That would be my understanding as well. Okay. It's immaterial now because the gift of prophecy is ended. So. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Although in the tribulation, prophesying. It'll come back. It'll, it'll come, come back. back. Yep. <clears throat> it'll come back. Which is a really neat thing in Acts 2 because it quotes Joel there. And uh, it's okay. I don't mean yeah. to hijack no. it. If you go to Acts 2 and you read. Um, See if I get this right. I hope I don't embarrass myself here. This is just off the top of my head. Um, Acts 2, in verse, uh, verse 16, it says, But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And then the, this goes back to this, the thing. He's talking about the Spirit and whatnot. Verse 17, And it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Okay. That's not talking about that, that moment. It's talking about a future. You know, but the similarity is the coming of the spirit. Okay, that's the... That's the, it, it, the Old Testament prophesied the spirit would come. And here, that gives validation to the spirit's coming right now. But there's going to be the spirit coming in the future. And it, this isn't it. But it's that same spirit. You know. So it's kind of a neat little... Because there it says all flesh. Yeah. And it there, there's it only just a few. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it's kind of a cool thing there. Um, anyway. Thank you. All right. Well, while we're in Acts, let's go to Acts 18, 24 and through 26. Mom. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Jew named Apollos in Alexandrian by birth, an eloquent man, came to Ephesus and he was mighty in the scriptures. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord and being fervent in spirit, he was speaking and teaching accurately the things concerning Jesus, being acquainted only with the baptism of John. And he began to speak out boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Okay. So who do we have here? Husband and wife. Who knows which is which? <laughs> I've always assumed that, but, you know, there was a, I asked this a while ago, you know, because, like in Spanish, right, when it ends in A, it's a female, and if it's an O, it's a male, well, but it's Aquila and Priscilla, well, <laughs> we assume Priscilla, because a Priscilla is, an, you know, an English female name, but maybe it wasn't in the Greek, maybe Aquila was the female, I don't know, I don't know if anybody else knows or not, but. We know their husband and wife, and they are a, they're a team. Yes, they're a team, and together they are doing what? They're teaching and instructing. And in this case, they are not just teaching and instruction, but they're evangelizing. Would you go so far as to say that they're evangelizing? They're telling him about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Exactly, yeah. And he doesn't know that yet. So here's a female who has one of those gifts. We're not sure which one she has, and her husband obviously has one of those. Maybe they both have the same gift, but um, that's what they're doing. They're working as a team in relationship they're a team in relationship to each other, and they're in relationship with Christ. Okay? So let's take a look then at Ephesians 5. Most of you probably know what this is. So. Something else in that passage is they took him aside and explained you know, mm -hmm. some things too, and they didn't mm -hmm. just like write out where he's just shrunk. Yeah, yeah. They, right, they took him aside, and yeah. yeah, yeah. Lindsay, could you read um, Lindsay 22 and 25 first, and then we'll go back to 21. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, and then jump to 25. Yeah. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So here we have instruction to both. And it basically is submit equally, right? We relate to each other. So if we go back and read 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah. So all together, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church, 
and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. So, again, if we put it all together from Adam and Eve <laughs> to the end, what's the actual message? Men and women are equal. Adam and Eve were created equal. They sinned equally. They were given roles, right? But this led eventually to the law. Then Christ came. We have salvation. And this, again, makes us equal in him. Um, another thing that I... Uh, Jesus Christ is equal to the Father, but he submits to the Father. So if... If it's good enough for the God of the universe to be able to submit to someone, who are we to say that we're too high and mighty to have to submit? It's a crazy thought. Yep. And submission. Just remember that. <laughs> Come on, man. Now stop your feet. <laughs> Well timed, Gary. Well timed. <laughs> I, th I think there's need a little bit of moderation on the yes, we're equal, and you see that from the beginning. But on the flip side, they recognize there's differences too. Right. And each have their areas generally that they're better at than the other. Right. Well, and if that's why I come back to yeah, that's why I think right. this word is so important to remember, because if we were completely equal, we'd be useless as a team. You need the differences. You need the strengths and the weaknesses because that's how you complement each other. And I mean, what's the key point? God is in charge. <laughs> and so when one of them is carnal, the, what is the uh, spiritual? They may say something, but they may keep their mouth shut and go, well, you're disagreeing with God and leave it there. Mm -hmm. You know, but... You're not supposed to argue with someone that's being carnal. You know, so it's you speak up, but you're not arguing. Right. It's a, a difference. You know. Exactly. Well, and that that was what I was beginning to say too. Is a lot of people. I think part of what happens is we misuse the word submit. Submit does not. Exactly. It doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean that this person has ultimate power over you. It just means that... Well, the key part is, in the first part over in Ephesians, it says, God is over the church. Man over the woman. But God is also, since over the church, God is also over man. So there's a just progression of mm -hmm. the way, you know, there's... They're equal, but they have different. There's a order. Different order. The, um, the word submission, uh, I think it's uh, Steve Adams. He, he often, uh, I've heard him illustrate it with uh, the concept of in a military order. This word for submission is used in a lot of military usages. And uh, it's the idea that you're 
re coming under another for a common benefit. Right. And, uh, even if you look in the military, it, it's a matter of order. It's not a matter of they're better than you. You know, it's a matter of authority. It's not that they're better than you or higher than you. Or, you know. um, so that's always an interesting illustration. Yeah, and I've been told by someone who's an officer in the military that um, in many cases they're encouraged to bring the arguments because that's how they hear the advice. Mm -hmm. It's just that once the person in charge makes the determination, then everybody else has to fall into line for the good of the, oh, I don't agree with him, I'm not going to do that, you know. Yep. I'm not going to go fight this when I don't agree with it. I find it really ironic, because uh, this could be my opinion, so take it with a grain of salt. I find it interesting that through the Bible, women were before probably the New Testament, women were considered kind of possessions. And through the New Testament, you have verses like Galatians. There's no difference between male and female. Women are elevated, right? And uh, I'd really argue that the women's live movement pulled a lot of verses like that to support their cause. And, uh, and but now, the way the women's feminist movement has gone, I think they've hurt themselves. We've got, our whole society is hurt because we don't have strong families. We, we have this, this, this argument between men and women. It's my career is the most important, no, my career is the most And now they're not a unit going forward. It's this, uh, they're, they're battling one another mm -hmm. about who's the breadwinner and who's this. And not that a woman can't work, not a woman that, I'm not saying any of that. I'm saying, it's overall hurt our society. You know, not that we're trying to fix the world, but this is just my my impression. You know, um, kind of promotes an attitude of independence. Yeah, it's, it's independent. Independent. we don't. I don't need you. I don't. You know. This goes back to just right. <laughs> yeah, and I I like that that it does. I would agree. It does promote this idea of independence that. Um, especially for women, that women don't need men. And, um, men have I, their own, I, own problems that have resulted from all this. Mm -hmm. you know, probably the breakdown, in my opinion, breakdown of the family, biggest problem in our society. Mm -hmm. and, uh, I agree. Anyway. And part of, I mean, one of the reasons Tim wanted to do this was for the young people in the church and I think this kind of leads to what I kind of wanted to end with if I had time was how does this apply to everyday life I mean okay we've looked at what it means okay we, we can agree that it doesn't mean that women can't speak in church um, I think you know I would agree I don't think that a woman should be a pastor I do think that that is kind of a you know a role that needs to stay with men the I think it's okay for I'm obviously I'm up here teaching, <laughs> so obviously I think it's okay for me to to be given this opportunity by my pastor to teach, you know, um, and I I'm not afraid to say that he gave you know he gave me the beginnings I took this and I added to it and you know, um, but how does that apply then for our young people too? you know, marriage and, and looking into the future. And, and I would say the one thing that I 
would want to say is that I think it's important that for the girls, you just remember that one, this is why it's so important. And for the boys too, either way, this is why it's so important as a believer, if you are a believer, that you marry a believer. <laughs> because that foundation is going to make that submission to each other possible and so much easier than if you don't have that commonality. And I am speaking from experience. <laughs> um, having had two failed relationships where that was not there. And so um, that's probably the biggest piece of advice I could give to, you know, out of this is it's extremely important. That is a foundation that cannot be ignored. And if that means that you have to wait until you're 30 plus years old or whatever, oh well. You know, you wait until God puts that person in your life that's the right person. Don't rush it. Um, and at the same time, when it just comes to life in general, let God lead you to whatever, you know, I think it, this applies to careers and everything, you know. Um, but along with what Josh said, I think that the breakdown of the family is a big part of the problem in our world and society today. And um, don't be afraid to, to stand firm and say family's more important than my career and making lots of money and you know all the things that the world tries to say. So that's my two cents. Anybody else want to add? <laughs> This passage in Ephesians, which is always the, the, the big attention getter about submission to each other, uh, it, it's got to be remembered that it's under the context of Ephesians 5.18, being built by the Spirit and submitting to God's authority. So whether you're a woman submitting to a man, man submitting to a woman, uh, both are supposed to be submitting to God's authority, uh, using the parts of the fruit of the Spirit, part of which is faith, faith that God is going to uh, mature us in the way and the timing that he sees fit if we're submitting to his authority. And if we don't have all the answers, uh, if, if we're submitting to his authority, we're going to be getting the answers as we need them and we're going to be growing and maturing together in harmony with each other as a couple uh, rather than at odds with each other. So. Yeah, exactly. It, it all, I mean, that's, that's why I said that's why I put this picture back up here because it, it all comes back to that. It really does. And it's, and even with that, it's not just submission, you know, husband and wife. It, you know, the verse is very clear that, you know, he goes on and it says the slave is to be submissive to his master. And, you know, we're to be submissive to the government. Children we're supposed to children to their parents. And, you know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's on and on. And um, all of that is important. And I think even as we're looking into the future again you know depending on um how you see the overall um i know my parents and i talk all the time and it's hard not to think that the end isn't coming pretty darn quickly based on some of the things that are happening um which means that you know even though we know that we're going to be raptured before the worst of it that doesn't mean it's not going to get worse and we, as Christians, aren't going to, um, even here in the United States, start to receive persecution and 
Um, I mean, I don't know if you guys heard this, but um, Israel is trying to pass a law where you can't, um, it would be punishable by death if you preach about Christ. The prime minister said that. The prime minister said it would not pass. I know. know, But the fact that they're trying, you know, I mean, there's more and more of those kinds of things that are they're trying to do, you know. And and so we have to keep in mind that as much as we think we're safe in the United States, we may, may, you know, in our lifetime we may not be, but we still have to be submissive. And the tribulation, the United States isn't really mentioned. Nope. And we're, so we, we know we're going to... We're in the process <laughs> of devaluing all America for that. Yep, yep, nope, I agree. Um, so. I, uh, you talk about the kids today. 25 years ago, or 30 probably, 30 years ago, when Andrea was going to Big Ben, she had a professor assign her specifically to write on this passage in Ephesians. And if she believed, I don't know if he just gave the assignment to her because she she was in a class about something, you know, you, they require you to take these classes about sociology and stuff like that. Anyway, I don't know if she said it and so he made her write it on this or if how it, if he gave that assignment to the whole class, but it was on the subjection of a wife to her husband and stuff. And she wrote about that it also said that the husband and the the believers were to submit to one another, and he said he'd never heard that before. Mm -hmm. So that just shows you how much it's Mm -hmm. cherry-picked to find something in the Bible that will, you know, get people up riled and you know so don't be surprised if you go to college and someone tries to get you up riled about the Bible <laughs> because it's very common yes it is very common you're in good company they hated Jesus and they're not going to like you either right mm-hmm. yeah exactly and you That's... know what I don't think you should be afraid of that because it'll send you to your Bible and you'll say what does this really say? That may be things that you aren't certain of. Mm-hmm. And it will make you firmer in your faith. So don't be afraid <coughs> when someone challenges you. Yeah. I agree. Thank you. Any other thoughts? We have a couple minutes. Any thoughts from the young people? He is younger than me, so I guess that's allowable. <laughs> I did have one comment though. <clears throat> All you non-young people don't have to listen to it. No. Uh, no, just a challenge, I guess, to think like there's so many different ways you could have looked at women, you know, from scripture, because we're not like compartmentalized. I mean, there's singleness, there's marriedness, there's there's ministry, there's just regular life, you know? And uh, and then, I, so anyways, I was thinking kind of in marriedness, like, you know, what is our challenge then if we are a team, if we complement each other? Um, 
to the Lord in, in ministry. When I use that word, I don't know, using it loosely, right? But there, there are things that Lindsay's and there are things we do together, and there are things we certainly don't do together. Like she does Wednesday uh, Jam, which stands for Jesus and me. There you go. Um, Jesus and me. You know, it's it's elementary kids. It's like it's like after school Bible club, right. and uh, you know she does that, which is super great. Uh, I'm doing Young Life, which is super great. She doesn't necessarily feel called to go like, yeah, I want to go meet with, or, or like maybe that's not, calling's not the right word, but her strong suit of sitting around and leading discussion with, with teens. Um, we went to Papua New Guinea. That was a joint effort. Uh, when we ran Awanas for a number of years, a joint effort. But yeah, what, like what is the roles together? Because sometimes I think the perception is, like Jen could say, I'm married to Josh, and he's a pastor, and I get drug along through all these pastoral lifestyle. I don't mean drug along. You know what I mean? But like, tag along. Yeah. Tag along. Yeah, I mean, and that is true. Like, she is she is to support him and compliment him when, he, when he's in that role. And, um, so those are thoughts that I have kind of back to And I agree, because, I mean, I, I um, having known several pastors' wives, I remember talking to one in particular that she was like, I always feel like I have to act this certain way because I'm a pastor's wife yeah. and, and it was like well why what, what, is there some description somewhere that says the role of pastor you know's wife must look like this you know you know has to play the piano and has to you know no you know what there's there's no right or wrong role and I would agree it's not you know being partner doesn't necessarily mean and compliment doesn't mean that you're lockstep in everything you do yeah. right it's um, you're still individuals <laughs> and with but individual it's interests that, it's still that support that, mm -hmm. that they're 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 you're agreeing with them allowing <coughs> or whatever for them to do their thing, whatever it is. Right. So I was just gonna add that, you know, looking at your board, your notes on the board and stuff and thinking about it, that um, in our society today, there are so many churches that operate under some kind of law, you know, they, they incorporate in their version of the Ten Commandments or, or you know, whatever their, I forget how they word it, but, but they teach in Sunday school Ten Commandments to the kids and, and the whole um, uh, law scenario. And, and so as a young kid, I mean, seeing that going on more, more that um, when you are married, it's, it, influences that because they're setting up this law whether it's the Ten Commandments or their own and not emphasizing the New Testament teaching in the church about grace you know and about our position in Christ and so um, if you, you can marry another Christian but if they're immersed in a whole legal system, you know, from the, they grow up in a church that's immersed in that, there's going to be a lot of challenges as they learn right. how to deal with each other and Right. Well, exactly. And, and I... Uh, I call just, that Pollyanna Christianity or Puritanical Christianity. It's just another legalism. Yeah. And uh, 
and it really goes back to what Jim said. It really comes back to being that 518 spirituality. Mm -hmm. You know, the Pollyanna Christian just goes, oh, it says do this, I do that, right? And I'm good, check, box checked. I'm godly, right? But that's not all there is to it. There's an empowerment that goes before the submission mm -hmm. on both mm -hmm. sides. And, uh, so, yeah. yeah. But that's not encouraged in all the churches. Not at all. Um, most of the churches, I would say, because so many of them go back to either the Ten Commandments or some form of law. Right. So just one last one last thought that struck me as I was doing this that I'm sure other people have noticed. But um, so just coming back to the beginning, right here. What did the, the Bible start with? Adam and Eve, and they were one flesh. They were one flesh. They were married. Right. One so, also the term a, a rib from Adam was taken to make right. So that made it the same When we get to Revelation, what happens to us? We're neither married. Nor no, but we are married. married. Christ. We're, We're married, married to Christ. Christ. So, I don't. I, in, in my research when I was doing this, it struck me, and then it just so happened I actually watched a whole video from Sean McDowell where he pointed the same thing out. And I just thought it was interesting that, you know, and again, going back to the young people, there's this push now to not get married. Yes. To just live together. That that's good enough. It's just a piece of paper. And, and I would challenge that the same way Sean did. The Bible started with a marriage. He talks about marriage all the way through it. And it ends in a marriage with us marrying Christ. We're the bride, and we marry him. Obviously, marriage is important to God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that relationship is important. So just my final thought before we close. So, um, Jim, could you close us in prayer? Father, we do thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices to try to <clears throat> come up with a logical in man's eyes view of how to live life and how to <clears throat> how to function in society uh, that's what unsaved man does and that always leads to failure because of our sin nature but you give us instruction you tell us what honors you and how you want things done and you give us the empowerment to do the very things that you want us to do you give, you give us the capacity to think your thoughts because of your spirit within us because you're within us giving us uh, your uh, spiritual DNA, as, as we put it. We have Christ in us, giving us uh, his quality of life. And so we have all of the capacities graciously given to us to live life in a manner that is completely 100% honoring to you. It remains for us to be submissive to you and to do it the way you tell us to do it, using the power that you give us and relying upon you to provide the result. And this is uh, so that you receive glory. Uh, amen. Anybody wants to see a picture of the temple in, uh, in Corinth? I have a picture of the ruins, and it, I think it's kind of cool because the scale is amazing. So, if anybody wants to see it, I have it.